Welcome to Bible Center Church, and thank you for joining us for this week's podcast. We pray that the Lord speaks to you as you hear from His Word today. Well, welcome again to Bible Center Church. It's great to have you here. Those of you who call Bible Center Church your home, uh, those of you who are our guests today, welcome on Palm Sunday, and of course, those who are joining us online, many of our folks away for vacation and spring break, and others of you, we'd love to have you here uh, next time you're in the Charleston area. We've got a ton of work to do today, so I'm going to ask you to go ahead and turn with me to 1 Corinthians chapter 11, 1 Corinthians chapter 11. And we'll read in verse 23 in just a moment. Before we do that, I want to uh, introduce a couple folks if they're in the service. Uh, Paul Ferguson. Is Paul here somewhere? Paul, if you're here, will you raise your hand? There's Paul Ferguson and his friend Parnell. Parnell, will you stand? Parnell Tanley. Will you welcome them? And I'll tell you why we're welcoming them here for just a moment. Paul is the gentleman that I talked about about a month ago who was a kid in the very first service when Bible Center launched in 1943. And we've struck up a friendship. We've been talking on the phone, been talking online. And he drove up. Parnell actually drove him up this weekend, a Boone County uh, native, just to spend. He's going to be here for both of our services. I want to ask them to kind of hang around that general area after the service because a number of you have said that you knew Clyde, his dad, years ago. And so welcome to the service. I'm looking forward to meeting you in person uh, after this in a moment. 1 Corinthians chapter 11, let's go ahead and dive in. Will you stand with me out of respect for God's word? Verse 23. For I received from the Lord what I also passed on to you. The Lord Jesus, on the night he was betrayed, took bread. And when he had given thanks, he broke it and said, This is my body, which is for you. Do this in remembrance of me. In the same way, after supper, he took the cup, saying, This cup is the new covenant in my blood. Do this whenever you drink it in remembrance of me. For whenever you eat this bread and drink this cup, you proclaim the Lord's death until he comes. This is the word of the Lord. You may be seated. I'm really excited about our Good Friday services this week. For decades, Bible Center has gathered on Good Friday to worship the Lord and celebrate His death, the death of the Lord Jesus Christ on the cross. And we're working hard to blend the ancient and the modern. As you know, in our services now, we have a multi-generational service at 9 and a modern service at 11. And so there's not very many services throughout the year anymore where we can actually blend together as a church family. But we are doing our best on Friday to do just that. We'll be singing some older songs like The Love of God, How Deep the Father's Love, and When I Survey the Wondrous Cross. If you like more of the newer songs, some like Hillsong type music, we'll be singing Crowns, Remembrance, and then we're going to be singing the song we just sang in a moment ago that Carrie Job made famous, Oh the Blood. Friday, you will not want to miss 
It's uniquely interactive, and this is what I mean by that. It's not just going to be us up here doing all the work, but you're actually going to do as much work in the service as we do. Uh, There'll be scripture readings on the screen where we'll ask you to stand and just read what's on the screen. Uh, There'll be communion. Our worship team is working hard with art to catch the spirit of the service. Uh, We'll not video or live stream the service that night, and so the only way to really enjoy it is to be here in person and I hope you'll join me Friday evening. Bring the kiddos. Uh, even if you've got small kids, just go ahead and bring them. The sign of a healthy church is crying babies. I love it. Now, we have a great nursery downstairs. Don't get me wrong, right? The nursery is downstairs. But if you have your children with you, even on a Sunday morning, I love, love, love the sound of a crying baby. Bring them. Uh, bring the iPads. Bring the coloring books. You never know what your children can pick up. One of our elders' daughters, actually several years ago, was saved in our Good Friday service right here at Bible Center, and she was young then, and so I ask you to bring the kiddos. A couple of promises I wanted to let you know about. One is that if you bring the kids, there'll not be any pictures or movies on the screens that will scare your children, right? Uh, No Passion of the Christ videos that night, just letting you know that. Those of us that no longer have small kids, we forget about those things. Uh, But the second assurance is we're not going to be spotlighting you, right? Some of you who don't come to the 11 o'clock service really aren't looking for semi-truck lights to hit you in the eyes uh, during the worship service like maybe we do at 11. So none of that on Friday night. I really ask you to come with the spirit of worship asking the Lord to point you to the cross and to love the person worshiping beside you. So the question this morning is this, why celebrate Good Friday? Why celebrate Good Friday? Not only why are we celebrating Good Friday at Bible Center, but why are churches around the world, why are millions of believers in all parts of the world this week going to celebrate Good Friday? In Germany, they don't call it Good Friday, but they call it Morning Friday or Silent or Holy Friday. The Nordic countries call it the Long Friday. Greece and Poland and Hungary call it, in their language, Mega Friday. So how do we know or how can we be sure or mostly sure that Jesus died on the cross on a Friday? Why do I not believe he died on a Wednesday or a Thursday? Compared to Easter and Christmas, what's the big deal about Good Friday anyway, right? It's kind of like leftover. It's the holiday no one really gets excited about. But how excited does God get about Good Friday And why should we have a worship service? Why should we have an hour-long worship service to celebrate this holiday? That's what I plan to answer uh, in the next few minutes. Now, there's a lot of content on your outline. So this morning is a little unusual in that we're going to dig, dig deep, and we're going to look at a lot of verses. And so if you have a pen handy or if you have the app open, you're going to want to take a lot of notes because we've got to move quickly. But you could summarize this whole sermon into two categories. One, I want to tell you something that I really want you to know. And two, I'm going to share something that I really hope you'll do. So most of the sermon is something that I really want you to know. And then I'm going to conclude by sharing something that I really hope you will do this week. So first of all, what do I really want you to know? Well, number one, why celebrate Good Friday? Number one, because Jesus most likely was crucified on a Friday in AD 30 or 33. Jesus most likely was crucified on a Friday in AD 30 
or AD 33. Now, why do we think that? Why are we mostly sure about that? There's a minority of scholars who say maybe he was crucified on a Wednesday, and there's a few of you, we've talked about that, but why do we mostly believe he was crucified on a Friday? Well, look at Mark 15, verse 42 with me. The normal reading of Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, the synoptic gospels, is just a normal understanding of Sabbath. Mark 15, 42, it was preparation day, That is, the day before the Sabbath. I didn't add those words in. I just bolded them. But this is God's word. And so a normal reading of the Sabbath would be Saturday for the Jews. So this was the day before the Sabbath, Friday. So as evening approached, Joseph of Arimathea, a prominent member of the council who was himself waiting for the kingdom of God, went boldly to Pilate and asked for Jesus' body. Pilate was surprised to hear that he was already dead. Summoning the centurion, he asked him if Jesus had already died. When he learned from the centurion that it was so, he gave the body to Joseph. So Joseph bought some linen cloth, took down the body, wrapped it in linen, and placed it in a tomb cut out of the rock. Then he rolled a stone against the entrance of the tomb. Mary Magdalene and Mary the mother of Joseph saw where he was laid." And so Mark 15, the normal understanding is that Jesus was crucified, buried the day before the Sabbath, which would be Friday. Luke 23, 50. Now there was a man named Joseph, a member of the council, a good and upright man, it's the same guy, who had not consented to their decision and action. He came from the Judean town of Arimathea and he himself was waiting for the kingdom of God. Going to Pilate, he asked for Jesus's body. Then he took it down, wrapped it in linen cloth, and placed it in a tomb cut out in the rock, one in which no one had yet been laid. It was preparation day, here it is, and the Sabbath was about to begin. Jews believe that the Sabbath actually started on Friday night at sundown. And so the Sabbath, Friday night, it was dusk, it was about to be dark. The women who had come from Jesus from Galilee followed Joseph and they saw the tomb, how his body was laid in it. They went home and prepared spices and perfumes, but they rested on the Sabbath in obedience to the commandment. So a normal reading of Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John is that Jesus was buried on a Friday. They rested on the Sabbath, Saturday. That's why they didn't come and and anoint him with spices. And then on Sunday morning, Jesus rises from the grave. Now, in your outline, I've listed two dates, 8030 and 8033. You say, why would you list two dates? Don't we know for sure which date it was? Well, the answer is no. We're dealing with 2,000 years and about three calendars. So you've got the Jewish calendar, which used a completely different system than we use. You have the pagan Roman calendar, what we call the Julian calendar. And then at about 1500, AD 1500, you've got the Gregorian calendar. So you say, I don't understand any of that. Don't worry. I'm just simply trying to say it's, it's hard for us to figure out what dates are which. It was even harder for scholars to do that. So they've got it narrowed down. They think it was probably using our calendar, probably April 3rd, AD 33, probably. Why was it not the same every year? Why are we not celebrating the crucifixion on April 3rd, if that's really the case? Well, the Passover is like our Thanksgiving. 
it shifts depending on the season and depends on the moon phase. And so it's not the same date every year, but it's always in the spring right around the same time of year. You say, well, why is it such a big deal then? Of course Jesus was crucified on a Friday. Why does anybody doubt that? Well, there's one reason that it's doubted, and I think it's actually a reasonable doubt, and that is Matthew chapter 12 and verse 40. Think with me for a minute. Really got to think through this. For as Jonah was three days and three nights in the belly of a huge fish, so the Son of Man will be three days and three nights in the heart of the earth. Now, if we take that literally, if we take that verse literally, then there's no way Jesus could have been crucified on Friday. There's just no way. Like the time, the chronology doesn't match up. There was a few years since I've been in ministry, in the last 17 years of ministry, there was a few years when I actually believed in what we call Wednesday crucifixion. Um, there's a whole lot of reasons for that. And it's not beyond the realm of belief, but I'm going to tell you why I personally no longer believe in a Wednesday crucifixion. Why not three days, literal three days and three nights? Well, first of all, in your outline, first century Jews use this phrase loosely, referring to any portion of any day of a day or night. Even in our culture, we seldom use the word day to refer to a 24-hour period. Here's what I mean by that. Whenever you tell somebody you're going to go in three days, do you mean literal 72 hours when you say that? Some people do. I, I know some of my friends who are more of like the, uh, the engineering minds, more of the accounting minds. When they say three days, they literally mean 72 hours, right? But there are other times when we say, oh, yeah, I'm going to go in two or three days. And what we mean is anywhere from 24 to 80-some hours. Like, we just use it loosely, figurative language. And so the Hebrews were notorious for this. Some of us who grew up in more fundamentalist backgrounds, and I'm one of those, Sometimes it's hard for us to get out of this mindset and understand the way the Jews thought, the way Jesus thought. They were poetic in nature. And so Jesus, I believe, wasn't referring to literal 72 hours, three days, and three nights. This week, I will begin six, 20 weeks of training for the Charleston Distance Run. How many of you are hoping to run some portion of the Charleston Distance Run? A few of you? All right, actually one of you. If, you. if more of you want to run it, join us. It's a 20 weeks of training. So when I tell people, hey, I'm starting my 20 weeks of training, nobody here thinks that I'm literally going to spend 3,360 hours training for the Charleston Distance Run. If you know me, you know I'm not going to come anywhere close to that. I'll be lucky to get 300 hours. And so it's believed that Jesus may have been speaking figuratively to prove a theological point to show his similarity to Jonah. John MacArthur, a pastor that we, most of us, love and respect, writes this. The matter of three days and three nights is often used either to prove Jesus was mistaken about the time he would actually spend in the tomb or that he could not have been crucified on Friday afternoon and raised early on Sunday, the first day of the week. But as is in modern usage, the phrase day and night can mean not only a full 24-hour day, but any representative part of a day. The Jewish Talmud held that any part of a day is as the whole. Jesus was simply using common, well-understood generalization. 
So that's your first bullet point. That's the first reason why I don't believe Jesus most likely was crucified not on a Wednesday. Secondly, the Old Testament uses three days loosely, not requiring three 24-hour periods. There are many verses that I've listed. I've just listed a few of the many. But throughout the Old Testament, the Bible is the best interpretation, interpretive tool for the Bible. So throughout the Old Testament, there's instances where it talks about doing something in three days or three days and three nights. My favorite instance of this is Esther. Esther chapter 4. Some of you remember the story. If you're new to church, you're going to want to read the book of Esther. It is beautiful. Hopefully next year I want to preach through the book of Esther. It's just a wonderful, true story of God's faithfulness. But the story of Esther is like this. In chapter 4, Esther and her people, her Jewish people, are about to be exterminated by evil Haman. Haman has somehow worked the law. He's worked the system to get permission to wipe out all the Jews. And so Esther's concerned for her life, for her family. And at the end of chapter 4, she tells Mordecai, she tells her relatives, she says, I am going to go in three days and three nights, and I'm going to go talk to the king. So you spend the next three days and three nights in fasting and prayer because I'm going to go to the king. It's that famous passage where she knew that if she went into the king's presence unsolicited, he could kill her. He could do that. And so she said, if I perish, I perish. Three days and three nights. But then it says in Esther chapter 5 and verse 1, on the third day, Esther put on her royal robes and marched into the presence of the king. It's the same idea. You say, well, wait a minute, that's a contradiction of the Bible. Well, that's us, post-enlightenment, looking at the scriptures with eyes from 2019. But in the Hebrew mindset, it was no contradiction whatsoever. Third bullet point. In the New Testament, Jesus' Sunday resurrection took place on the third day, making a Friday crucifixion most probable. This is the one that did it for me. It's not in your notes. I should have included it, but you want to write down Mark chapter 16 and verse 9. There's only one verse in the entire New Testament that clearly says Jesus rose from the grave on Sunday morning. One of the advocates of people who will try to doubt the Bible will, will say things like this. Well, it says that they came to the tomb on Sunday morning and found it empty. But the Bible doesn't say Jesus arose on Sunday morning. Well, actually it does. Mark chapter 16 and verse 9 says Jesus arose early on the first day of the week, which was Sunday. There's only one recorded instance. That verse I read a few minutes ago about three days and three nights. There's only one recorded instance that Jesus ever said that. One. But there are dozens of recorded instances where Jesus says, I will rise on the third day. And so my point is, one or the other has to be true. We're going to make one figurative and one literal. And so there's a rule of Bible interpretation called the majority rule. If there's one verse that's hard for us to understand, but there's 30 verses that are easy to understand, you go with the 30. You don't go with the one. You let the 30 interpret the one. Here's a few of those. Matthew 16, 21. From that time on, Jesus began to explain to his disciples that he must go to Jerusalem and suffer many things at the hands of the elders, the chief priests, and the teachers of the law, and that he must be killed and on the third day be raised to life. Not the fourth day, not after 
the third day, but literally on the third day, Matthew 17, 23, they will kill him. And on the third day, he will be raised to life. Matthew 20, 19, on the third day, he will be raised to life. So if we believe that Jesus was crucified on a Friday, then being raised on a Sunday morning easily gives us that on the third day. The fourth bullet point, something for you to use. If you're connected to a secular college campus or you've got unsaved friends who've asked you about this, this point is significant. Jesus ate the Last Supper on the evening before his crucifixion, purposely giving new significance to the Passover meal. That is widely believed, almost universally believed by Christians. Even those who say Jesus was crucified on Wednesday will say that he had to have eaten the Passover meal on Tuesday. So he clearly ate the Passover meal the night before he was crucified. Now the Passover was technically on a Friday, but for first century Jews, the holiday began at sundown the night before. So some Jews chose to eat the Passover meal immediately at sundown, which is what we find in the Gospels. Jesus and his disciples immediately ate, ate the Passover meal on Thursday night. So technically, the Passover began at sundown. Some Jews, though, preferred to wait until lunch the next day, which is why John 18.28 says that there were the enemies of Jesus who were trying to hurry up with this crucifixion thing because they wanted to eat their Passover meal. You could eat it on either time period on either day. But notice Luke 22. Jesus specifically is trying to connect this to the Passover, which is why I'm convinced he had to have died on Friday. He specifically says in Luke 22, 7 and 8, Then came the day of unleavened bread on which the Passover lamb had to be sacrificed. Jesus sent Peter and John saying, go and make preparations for us to eat the Passover. They left and found things just as Jesus had told them. So they prepared the Passover. When the hour came, Jesus and his apostles reclined at the table and he said to them, I have eagerly desired to eat this Passover with you before I suffer. For I tell you, I will not eat it again until it finds fulfillment in the kingdom of God. After taking the cup, he gave thanks and said, take this and divide it among you. For I tell you, I will not drink it again from the fruit of the vine until the kingdom of God comes. And he took bread and gave thanks and broke it and gave it to them saying, this is my body given for you. Do this in remembrance of me. In the same way, after the supper, he took the cup saying, this cup is the new covenant in my blood, which is poured out for you. Now, last bullet point. You've been so faithful to go along this ride with me. Again, we're talking about something I want you to know. Many Jews enjoyed the Passover meal on the evening before the holiday. I've already said that. In AD 33, they ate on Thursday placing Jesus' crucifixion on Friday, the Jewish month of Nisan, 15th, or our calendar would be April the 3rd, AD 33. So that's why I believe we can't separate the crucifixion from Friday, the Passover day. Now let's talk for just a minute. Does that mean if you have a friend or if you're here today, and I've talked, spoken with some of you already this week, you know what I was going to be preaching on, 
Does that mean that if you disagree with me that you don't love your Bible or that if I disagree with you that I don't love my Bible? No, not at all. Not at all. You say, what percentage are you convinced that Jesus died on Friday, April 3rd, AD 33? Maybe 95%. Maybe, 90, maybe 92.5% on a, on, a, on a bad day, right? right? I'm, I'm pretty sure. But what I, you say, well, why then teach on this? Why preach on this? Because many of you are out there at work. And again, you're connected to people who don't know Jesus. And they're asking you these questions. And so I want you to have the tools for you to be equipped to speak to them and at least give a reasonable answer for your faith. So whenever they say, oh, well, you know, the Bible says Jesus, your Bible says Jesus was crucified, buried, and he, he was buried for three days and three nights. There's no way your Bible's true because you got to celebrate Good Friday. I just want you to be armed with the tools you need to give you confidence in the word of God. I want to give you courage in the word of God as you speak. Whenever you're talking to an unbeliever about these things, do not be like so dogmatic that you're getting red in the face, willing to fight over a Friday crucifixion. And by the way, if you're here this morning and you disagree, you're a Wednesday crucifixion person or a Thursday, the last thing we need to do is fight about it, right? I mean, how ironic would it be if we fight over the day that Jesus came to die for our sins? Like something about that just doesn't make sense. But really the, the last reason I want you to have a grasp on these things is because I want you to be connected to the global church. We at Bible Center are purposely a non-denominational church, which that means we have to work extra hard at being connected to Christian brothers and sisters around the globe. It's easy for us to have groupthink and to think that we have all the answers ourselves and that we know everything in and of ourselves, but it's good for us to see that the global church is celebrating Good Friday around the world. And so when we gather, we gather with the global church as has been the practice for over a thousand years. Number two, so why celebrate Good Friday this week? Well, number two, Good Friday was the main reason God created the universe. For you Wednesday folks, you could cross out Good Friday and put the death of Christ. I'll let you do that. Good Friday was the main reason God created the universe. Which was more important in God's sight? I want you to think through this for a minute. A lot of thinking. I see smoke coming out of your ears. Which was more important? Christmas, Good Friday, or Easter? Christmas, Good Friday, or Easter? Well, it seems to me, and I'll give you the Bible to prove it, it seems to me that Christmas had to happen, but Christmas accentuates Good Friday. It accentuates the death of Christ. Here's what I mean. Jesus could not have come to earth on Thursday, died on the cross on Friday, and raised on Sunday, and gone back to heaven on Monday. It's impossible. We're going to talk about it on Good Friday night. The reason is he had to live the perfect life. He had to live a full life. He chose to live over 30 years because you couldn't be a priest until you were at least the age of 30. And so Jesus came, his baptism wasn't because he became a follower of himself. His baptism at age 30 was because that's what priests did. Priests at the age of 30 would be baptized into the priesthood saying that I am becoming a priest on behalf of the people. And so Jesus had to live at least 30 years on the earth to live a sinless life. You see, something happened at the cross more than just our forgiveness. 
Yes, our sins were taken or forgiven from us, but our sins were put on Jesus. His righteousness was transferred to us, imputed to us, and our sin was, the punishment of our sin was transferred to him. So he couldn't have just been born on Thursday, died on Friday, rose again on Sunday. He had to live for at least 30 years to show I am the perfect spotless lamb of God. I am the perfect priest. So I believe that Christmas was necessary because it pointed to the cross. I also believe that Easter was necessary, according to Romans 5, 6, and 7, because it points back to the cross. Here's what I mean. As you study the book of Hebrews, the resurrection of Jesus is always used in these terms. It was proof that God accepted his sacrifice three days earlier. Easter was proof that Jesus was who he says he was, that he was God, and that God the Father accepted his sacrifice, and so he was able to conquer death for you and for me. Just think through these verses with me. This may blow our minds, but sometimes it's, it's good for that to happen. Ephesians chapter 1 and verse 3. Ephesians chapter 1 and verse 3. While you're turning there or thinking about this, I remember once in high school, I went to Cross Lanes Christian School, received a fine education there. I remember one time in speech class, I knew that I wanted to be a pastor. And so in speech class, I would always like preach sermons instead of do speeches, which the arrogance. But um, so I, would, I was one day doing one of my sermons and I talked about in the sermon, the whole message was about how that Jesus, you know, that God had planned for the world to be sinless. But when we sin, God had to kick in plan B. I think I even titled the sermon Plan B, right? And in my Arminian, West Virginian way of thinking, I preached this whole message about God's plan B. Jesus was God's plan B. And I remember Miss Allen, I don't know where she is now. Some of you may know. Miss Allen comes up to me after the sermon, and, and, and she, she's not a pastor. She looks at me and she's like, That was awful. That was awful. Like, Miss Allen, what do you mean that's awful? Miss Allen showed me the verses I'm about to show you right now. And it changed my way of thinking. I still don't understand it, but I believe it. That is, that in eternity past, God planned for the cross. The cross wasn't plan B. Jesus created the world for the cross because, well, I'm getting ahead of myself. Verse 3, Ephesians 1. Praise be to God the Father, and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, who has blessed us in the heavenly realms with every spiritual blessing in Christ. For he chose us in him before the foundation of the world to be holy and blameless in his sight. Everything we're about to read points back to what he chose, what he decided before the creation of the world. Laura Blantz, here it is. In love... He predestined us for adoption. So our adoption was planned before the foundation of the world through Jesus Christ. So Jesus was planned to come before the foundation of the world in accordance with the pleasure of his will. To the praise of his glorious grace, you have to sin to have grace, right? Perfect people don't need grace. So grace was planned before the foundation of the world which he freely gave us in the one he loves. In him, we have redemption 
through the blood, the forgiveness of sins. He planned before the foundation of the world to forgive sins through his blood in accordance with the riches of God's grace that he lavished on us. With all wisdom and understanding, he made known to us the mystery of his will according to his good pleasure which he purposed in Christ. Now, please don't get hung up on any one of those words. Some of you already are like, man, predestined. You're looking it up online. What does it mean? And you're el- No, don't get hung up on any one word. Just stop with me for a minute and agree with me on this. The cross wasn't plan B. God, in eternity past, planned for Good Friday. 2 Timothy 1.9 says, He saved us and called us to a holy life, not because of anything we have done, but because of his own purpose and grace. The grace was given us in Christ Jesus before the beginning of time. Revelation 13.8, All inhabitants of the earth will worship the beast. All those names have not been written in the Lamb's book of life. That's for another sermon. But the Lamb was slain from or before the creation of the world. Now, we can breathe for a minute. Think with me about two scenes. The Garden of Eden and heaven. If you've been a Christian for any length of time, think about the Garden of Eden versus heaven. In the Garden of Eden, what did Adam and Eve do with Jesus, with God? What what were they doing? They were walking with him in the garden in the cool of the day. They were walking with him. Now, I know they loved him. They appreciated him. They were grateful for him. They're walking with him. But if you look at Revelation chapter 5, chapter 7, chapter 8, the book of Revelation chapter 22, chapter 19, what are people doing with Jesus throughout the book of Revelation? They're not walking with him. What are they doing? They're bowing on their knees saying, worthy is the lamb that was slain. There's tears running down their cheeks that only God can wipe away. They're singing holy, holy, holy. Like when you look at heaven in the book of Revelation, there is so much glory going on at the end of time, far more glory, it seems, than what was being given to God in the Garden of Eden prior to Adam and Eve's sin. Here's the point. I don't understand how it works because God's not the author of sin. But God in his sovereign wisdom knew that if he's going to get glory from a people, he's going to get much more glory from their redemption than he will from their perfection. In other words, God knew that the way to get glory from us genuinely out of the heart of gratitude and response is for us to know that we deserve hell, but Jesus saved us anyway. And that's why in the book of Revelation and for all of eternity, we're going to be glorifying God for his grace, not for our perfection. And that's why I believe Good Friday was the reason God created the universe. Lastly, number three, why are we going to celebrate Good Friday on Friday? Well, I believe there's no better time to celebrate communion than on the day Jesus took our bad and gave us his good. There's no better time to celebrate communion than on the day Jesus took our bad and gave us his good. Communion is God's way of giving us regular illustrations of what the Bible is all about. 
Communion is the story we've been, as if the story we've been hearing about now comes to life. There's two ordinances, two symbols that God's given the church for 2,000 years. Communion, which is 100% about the cross, and baptism, which is at least two-thirds about the cross, right? The death, burial, and okay, then there's Easter, right? Easter is like one-third of one-half of the two ordinances that God's given us. So most of these ordinances, these symbols, point to Good Friday. Why do we call it good? Why do we call it good? Why don't we call it bad Friday? It seems like a bad Friday. Well, good Friday is good because Jesus wore the crown of thorns that we might bear that wear the crown of life. Good Friday is good because Jesus was scourged that we might be healed. Jesus was condemned that we might be pardoned. He tasted death that we might taste eternal life. He was abandoned that we might be accepted. He drank wrath that we might drink the waters of life. He died so that we can live. He was showered with judgment so that we can be showered with grace. Good Friday is good because we're so bad, but Jesus is eternally good. Here's what I'm gonna ask you to do. I told you this sermon is divided into two parts. One, something I want you to know. So we're done with that. And then two, there's something I want you to do. I'm gonna ask you, if you're in town this Friday, to consider joining us right here for Good Friday at Bible Center Church. Now I know many of you are already scheduled to be out of town and I'm gonna ask you to be with us in spirit, even though we're not streaming it, be praying for the service. I'll be tweeting updates throughout the day to my three followers and, and uh, people, can, people can see what's going on uh, throughout the day of Good Friday. I'm actually in planning, starting at 4 a.m. on Friday, to tweet throughout the day and on Facebook and Instagram what we think probably happened on Friday, starting at 4 a.m. our Jesus' time and, and right on throughout the day all the way up to the evening. But I'm gonna ask if you're in town, join us. Please consider joining us. Please be here, let's sing our faces off. Even if you're not a singer, the Bible says make a joyful noise unto the Lord. I'm not a singer either, but I'll be making a joyful noise. Come enjoy communion with us. You can read the scriptures with us on the screens, but I'm going to ask you to make Friday a priority if you're in town. I'd love to see this place filled up with people hungry, men, women, and believing children, believing children, watching the children take communion that day. Those who put their faith in Jesus, I'll ask you to join us here on Friday. Some of you are going on vacation. You're going to be gone all week, but you're going to be back maybe Friday evening. You're saying, I'm not really sure if I'm going to make it back for Friday evening. Well, if you make it back, you're going to need this service. I know what it's like to travel all day with kids, right? The, last, the, the most important thing you're going to need after traveling with kids is communion. Trust me. Confess your sins unto the Lord. Why do I want you to do this? Because I want this Passion Week to mean more to you than it's ever met before, ever meant before. God's doing something in my heart to where I don't wanna let another Good Friday pass, another Easter pass where it's just Easter Bunny, where it's just nothing wrong with it, but it's more than that. I wanna let this Easter season, this Good Friday, this Holy Week, this resurrection season mean more to me and more to my church than it ever has before. Will you join me on Friday? Let's pray. 
Once again, thank you for joining us this week. We look forward to serving you in next week's podcast, along with our weekend services every Sunday morning at 9 and 11 a.m.